can I say first and foremost this evening that it is a joy and privilege to be joining uh, with you in these monthly meetings whereby the prophecy of the Word of God is faithfully set forth. I have been coming down to speak at these meetings since the late 90s. Usually it has been at this time of the year making the journey down in the train to London. Somewhat odd then to be actually addressing you this year from South Wales and not having made that journey that has become an annual part of our lives. In saying that, I am made to recall a number of special meetings that we had in Roderham over the years here in South Wales for the SGAT and many special memories of our brother Tom's and others addressing us on the matters of prophecy. And I even recall, I think on one occasion, if my memory serves me right, uh, our brother Tom's wife was able to come with him. Those were special times. Those were times of instruction and blessing. And we thank God for those memories that we have. Of course, prophecy is not something foreign to the Bible. It's not something that we are forcing into the Bible. It's a large part of the Bible. If you take away prophecy, you have taken away a, a, a massive part of the scriptures of truth themselves. So we thank God for the testimony of the SGAT. We thank God for the meetings that have taken place throughout this year. We have enjoyed joining with our brethren as the word of God is still being presented even though we are under these special and trying circumstances at this time. Tonight we're turning our attention uh, just now to the book of Micah and to the prophecy of Micah. Micah was a man who was filled with the Spirit Filled with the Spirit of God to testify for Christ and of Christ in his day and generation. He tells, him, tells us himself he's, that he was full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. This was a, a powerful ministry that he had. And we want to look at Micah tonight and we want to consider something of his ministry as it's set before us here in the scriptures of truth. We have already heard from the book of Micah, chapters 4 and 5, but we want to just read some verses before we begin, right at the very end of the prophecy. We want to read in chapter 7 from the verse 14. Chapter 7 and the verse 14, where we read these words, Micah chapter 7, verse 14. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwelt solitary in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Basham, 
and Gilead, as in the days of old, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvellous things. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms off the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob. And the mercy to Abraham, which thou wast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Amen. And may the Lord even bless to our hearts this reading from his infallible word. It's not a text in the conventional sense, but I would draw your attention to the words there of the last verse of the book itself. The opening words of that verse. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. With God's word before us, we're just going to take a moment or two to seek the Lord's face. Father in heaven, we do bless and thank thee for the privilege we have of having before us the scriptures of truth. We thank thee, Lord, that we do not come to a, a subject matter that has originated in the minds and in the hearts of men. But rather, t today we turn to the very oracles of God. We turn to his word and we ask thee just now to give us the grace to hear God speak to us tonight from his book. Micah was a man with the power of heaven resting upon him. His word was with power just as the Saviour's word was with power. Just as there was might and power in the words of Peter and Paul. That same spirit abode upon thy servant of old. And we pray tonight that we will know something of that power ourselves. As thy word is opened up. Oh we praise thee that, that the word of God is indeed the dynamite of heaven. And we pray that that dynamite of God will be felt again in our land and in our lives and in the church of Christ O oh, come to the same be one of our number abide with us in Jesus name 
Amen. The testimony of Micah. A man full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Surely it is an accepted fact for us all that the true prophet of the Lord is ever and always set apart from the false and self-serving prophet by his testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he has to say of Christ. It's what he has to present regarding Christ that marks him out as being different. That heaven-blessed man will speak up always for the Saviour and for his truth in season and out of season. I think this to be but a fair and reasonable premise to set about the task identifying in the world who are the true servants of the Lord and who are the false servants of the Lord. What think ye of Christ? That's still the question. That's still the telling question that identifies the true from the false. What testimony does that particular individual that we think of give to Christ's truth as it is applicable to his own day and to his own generation? And what does that man have to say about Christ's first coming and then also about his second coming? Making these investigations, we will discover who are the false and who are the true servants of the Lord. This man, we come to study just now, the prophet Micah, is without doubt of that number that have borne faithful testimony to the Christ of God, to Messiah. You only have to read what he tells us himself there in the chapter 3. If we just read from the verse 5 to set the context of his words then in the verse 8. In the verse 5 he says, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that, and he that putteth not into their mouths they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded, Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But, truly, Micah says, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. Oh, I asked you to underscore those words. But, truly, 
I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You only have to read these words to see the distinction that is clearly being drawn here between Micah himself and those false and vain prophets. Micah spoke the truth as it was in Christ Jesus, fully and faithfully, while on the other hand, these other prophets, these false and profane prophets, fed the people merely with that which they thought the people wanted to hear. Micah is not silent about the sins of his age. He is full of power to show his people the truth of God as it was in Christ. And Christ and his truth are the unfailing benchmark by which we test all things. That remains to be the case. Micah tested and proved what was true and what was false in his day by the truth of Christ. And so must we. Now overviewing this book I will suggest to you that it would be indeed good and profitable for you to pay attention to that little word here. Just mark where it appears and the frequency with which it appears. I believe you will even have an outline for the entire book if you keep in mind that little word here. It's a very significant word. It's a word that's being emphasized here by the prophet Micah. Now, there was of course another Micah in the scriptures. And he also was a faithful prophet to the Lord in his day and generation. Now his name is slightly different, but it's the same word. It's the same word. Micaiah. He ministered in the days of that wicked and apostate king Ahab. And as I have said, the spelling of his name is slightly different, but it's the same word. But especially I want you to see how that first Micaiah, how he ends his ministry. What are the final words we hear coming from this man as he leaves his the scene? Of time and leaves his sphere of service. Well, if you turn over to First Kings, the chapter twenty-two, and at the verse twenty-eight, you will find there his very last words. The last we hear of the first Micaiah is here in First Kings twenty-two, verse twenty-eight. And Micah said, "If thou return at all, speaking of course to the wicked king Ahab, as he's about to go into battle." And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Now listen to these words. Hearken, O people, every one of you. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. These were his Last words. This was his last message. This was the word from God that he left with the people of Israel at that time. Hearken, O people, every one of you. 
Thus he was calling the people to hear. And is it not therefore significant that our Micah, now when we come over into the Minor Prophets, he picks up the message in the very same place. He picks up where the first Micaiah left off. He lays stress again and emphasis upon this matter. Hearing the word of God. How important it is to hear God's message for our time. That's why it's good that these meetings have been able to continue over these times of lockdown. Oh, that our people would hear what it is God is saying. And we could take up Micaiah's words tonight and we could loudly proclaim them across our nation. O people, hearken, O people, every one of you, hearken to what God is saying. Indeed, our Micah even references Omri and Ahab here in his prophecy. Look at the verse 16, the last verse of the chapter 6. Micah chapter 6 verse 16. The statues of Omri are kept and all the works of the house of Ahab. And ye walk in their counsels that I should make thee a desolation and the inhabitants thereof a hissing. Therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. Our Micaiah refers back, refers back to Omri and Ahab. And he here chides with the people of his day, for they were holding on to those errors and falsehoods that those evil men had established in the land. Oh, what propensity and what inclination there is in the human heart ever to cleave on to the devil's lie. Once the devil's lie has been established. How difficult it is to get people removed from under its power. But you will discover here that this old enemy is yet an enemy to our Micaiah. Because he's still preaching what the first Micaiah preached. God's view, you see, had not changed. It was yet the same, and our prophet is continuing to proclaim that message. The old enemy was still the enemy, still. And is there not a lesson for the Church of Jesus Christ in that this evening as well? Let us remember those enemies against whom our forefathers declared the judgment of God against our, our enemy still. God's truth, God's view hasn't changed, it hasn't altered. And there is undoubtedly here agreement down through the ages in the message that is proclaimed by our prophet. He's continuing on following that course that is faithful to God. But we want to come specifically to this prophecy tonight and to consider some main aspects of 
the ministry of this man of God who was full of power by the Spirit to witness and to testify to the truth as it was in Jesus Christ. What kind of ministry did he have? What can we learn from this man's ministry? Well, I think first of all there is a word here in Micah's testimony. A word of warning. A word of warning. Ringing out from what this man has to say. A word of warning that rung out in his day. But a word of warning that is still ringing out today because God the Holy Spirit has maintained his testimony in the book of God and it is there for our instruction. Now can we sum up that warning as it comes down to us through the ages from the prophet of Micah? How could we sum that warning up well let me sum it up tonight in this way Micah says plainly and clearly here in these chapters and he says to all sin in the end brings ruin remember that that's the warning sin when it is finished will bring havoc and ruin the way of sin is not to be followed. The path of sin is not a desirable path. Our God will never pass over sin. And from the very opening chapter of this book, this man of God, filled as he was with the power of heaven itself, with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, he declared that truth plainly and faithfully. Be very sure, dear friend, tonight. Be very sure the Lord will step into the affairs of men. And in his time, he will bring in the harvest of sin upon the heads of men. That has to be made known. Micah made it known in his day. Sin's payday will unquestionably come. Make no mistake about it. There's no escape. Those who give themselves over to sin, those who refuse God's warnings, those who, those who will not repent of sin and turn to the Lord for mercy, will undoubtedly, undoubtedly meet with the harvest of sin. Look with me here. In the prophecy of Micah, the chapter 1, let's read from the verse 2. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is. Let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place. He will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. The mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. Notice that. For the transgression of Jacob, all this is taking place. 
and for the sins of the house of Israel. God's given the reason here through his servant. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What are the high places of of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley. And I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces. And all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire. And all the idols thereof will I lay desolate. For she gathereth it off the hire of an harlot. And they shall return to the hire of an harlot. The prophet is warning. He's warning the people of his day and generation that destruction was on its way. Destruction was coming. That's the message. That's the message to this people. God was going to step into these affairs and he was going to bring to bear his mighty hand. Oh, you will not sin at will and fail to reap the consequences. That's just not going to happen. Too many think this way today. Our government thinks this way today. The vast, vast majority of people in our nation thinks this way today. We can live, we can do as we please and there will be no consequences. But not so, my friend. That's not going to happen. As Micah proclaims it here in the very opening chapter. But turn, and we're only taking here a sample of verses tonight. Turn to the chapter 3 in the last verse of this chapter. Chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore shall Zion be for your Therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Therefore shall Zion be for your shall therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. How forceful are the prophet's words here and his language here. Zion, Jerusalem will not be spared. Not even the Jerusalem of God will be spared when she falls into sin. Is that not an alarming Message tonight, the chapter 6, the verse 2. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. Ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. Then we could read on further down the chapter at the verse 9. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city. The man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked, 
balances and with the bag of deceitful weights for the rich men thereof are full of violence and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth therefore will I make thee sick in smiting thee in making thee desolate because of thy sins thou shalt eat but not be satisfied thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee and thou shalt take hold but shall not deliver and that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword thou shalt sow but thou shalt not reap thou shalt tread the olives but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil and sweet wine but shalt not drink wine again in this place we're being told the sinful actions of men are noted by the Lord we're told here that the Lord has a controversy with his people a controversy with them because of their sin and note it he will deal with them accordingly God's not going to pass over sin he's not going to gloss over sin he's not going to forget sin he is a controversy and he's going to deal with the people according to the controversy. And we're exhorted here to see the rod and who it is that has appointed it. It's work. Oh, I wonder tonight how many, how many in our present circumstances are, are giving heed to this exhortation. Do we see the rod that is being used by the Almighty in our circumstances? Do we see who has appointed it? It's work. Let's take one other verse in the chapter 7 this time and the verse 13 where we read these words. Notwithstanding the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. For the fruit of their doings. Well, the warning here is plain and it's sobering. Sin's payday will always arise. God will step into the affairs of men and he will see to it that sin brings its harvest. This word, of course, certainly applied to those back in Micah's day and it was a word for them. It was a word from God to their souls. But yet this word carries a message for the Jews and for the Israelites up until today and indeed on until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because as a nation, as a people, still in their unbelief, they still reap that bitter working of sin in their midst and their Christ rejection. Micah's message, Micah's warning was truly well given. For it is a warning that still is to be sounded forth. How great and how bitter have the tears and the sorrows of the Jewish people been because of their wickedness. Sin has its pity. But here also 
Let us understand tonight there's a message from Micah for the Gentile nations. Because if God passed not over the sins of his special chosen nation, Israel, then do you think, do you conclude tonight that he will pass over the Gentiles' rejection of the revealed will and purpose of God? Oh, the truth is tonight he will not. And he is not passing over the sins of the Gentile nations. In the end, sin brings consequences. And whether our nation and whether the nations of the world recognize this or not tonight, yet the truth stands. This is exactly what is happening. God's hand is at work here. But this lesson was to come home to our hearts personally and individually as well. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Oh, there was a warning here in Micah's testimony. But then also, I want you to see in this man filled with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, there was a word of identification as he testified. Micah with certainty points out the Messiah. He points out the Messiah. He leaves us in no doubt who the true Christ really is. Israel's hope. Yes, the hope of the entire world. I want you to mark this. At least 700 years before the birth of Christ, this man, Micah, tells his nation's nation and with them the world and us, Christ was going to be born at Bethlehem. Turn back there to those well-known words, perhaps some of the best-known words of the prophecy of Micah, chapter 5 and the verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Micah pinpoints the very spot for us. He names the place where Christ was to be born. This he does, of course, by the inspiration of God. It's God speaking in this man. We can clearly see these words were known and accepted amongst the Jews because they're quoted there in the New Testament. If you turn with me to the chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel and the, chap and the verse 6, you will see that that Micah's prophecy was embraced and accepted when the inquiry is being made here by Herod about where uh, the king of the Jews was to be born. We read the verse 5, And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, For this thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. This, this was a, an accepted 
revelation. It was looked upon as part of the scripture. In John chapter 7 and the verse 42 we also read, Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So here was a point well referenced in Israel at the time of Christ's birth. They knew from the scriptures, from the prophecy of Micah, they understood just where Messiah was to be born at Bethlehem. You see, when God speaks, he doesn't deal in vagueness. When he names a locality, we can be sure that is the very spot he means. When he says something is going to take place in that locality, then we can also be sure that it will. The fact that it may seem impossible to us does not in any way make it impossible to the Almighty. Well, the Lord is ever good to his word. He's ever good to his word. In this word of prophecy, we get to see how it is the Lord acts towards his promises. In all cases, God is good to his word. At this place, at Bethlehem, Christ was indeed born. Christ was indeed born. The one whose goings forth have been from everlasting. The one who was smitten. He alone is the only true Messiah. He's the one who stands out as the truly promised one. Amongst all those other false teachers and false Christs that have arisen and will arise to deceive the ignorant and the unbelieving. Micah's telling us here it's to the one born in humility at Bethlehem that we must look. To him all Israel and indeed all mankind must look for salvation. There is none other. He alone can save. As I have put it in such clear in such a clear way, in such a clear fashion, that there was no there's no mistaking. He says, Look unto me, and be ye saved on the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Israel will not be saved, and no peace and blessing until she looks as one day she will look to him whom she has pierced. And what is true of Israel is true of all. It's only by looking to Christ tonight that we can know salvation. The Apostle Peter put it like this in those well-known words in Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Are you looking to the one born of Bethlehem? Is your hope fixed securely in him? Oh, there was one identified here in the ministry, in the powerful ministry of this man. But again, I want you to see this man filled with the power 
of heaven filled with the power of the Holy Ghost testifies the glorious restoration of all Israel. He testifies the glorious restoration of all Israel. All have no problem taking literally what we have noted already in our first and second considerations tonight. Jerusalem was ploughed for her iniquity. The Redeemer, Christ the Messiah, was indeed born at Bethlehem. All would accept these facts as literally true. Yet sadly, there are those who will, in the face of this, dare to say that Israel has no future. When Micah, along with all the other prophets, is telling us, that Israel most certainly has a future, a wonderful future, a blessed future. There's a glorious restoration coming for God's ancient people. The view that rejects Jerusalem's blessings can have no credit. When we see how these other prophecies in this book of Micah, these other predictions came to pass. They were fulfilled exactly as God had said. As Micah spoke, so they were fulfilled. Well, so will it be with the day of blessing that is also spoken about here. Every bit is literally that word of promise of Israel's blessing will likewise be accomplished. In the main here, as we think under this particular heading, our thoughts would be well to centre around the chapters 4 and 5. You will find that the opening words of the chapter 4 here are found also in the writings of the prophet Isaiah. If you took the time to go back there to Isaiah chapter 2, you will find uh, the very same words, the chapter 2, and the, ver- the opening verses there of that chapter are exact words uh, with the opening words here in Micah of the chapter 4. And debate is had over which of these prophets spoke these words first. And then that is, it is assumed that the, that the second prophet copied the other. But I think hereby we are at least in danger of missing or or perhaps at least distracting from a far more important fact. The real matter that should interest here, not who spoke the words first, but the real truth to be laid upon our hearts is this. God is hereby, by giving these words to these two men, He's establishing the truth contained in these words. It's by the the mouth of two witnesses that he is establishing that these things are certain and that they are sure. And if we spend time focusing upon who it was that spoke the words first, we're at the very least taking away from that truth. And why, I simply ask, could not He who has supernaturally supervised the giving of all scripture 
and who has divinely preserved all scripture, why could not he who is of such power not give the very same words to two of his servants independently? To me, it's not a thing incredible. It's not incredible at all. And I maintain tonight that hereby God is emphasizing the truth that is hereby being related to us. He's emphasizing the truth. He's underscoring the truth. In this way, the Lord will have us know this truth. Praise his name. A day of blessing is coming. A day of blessing is coming upon Israel. A day of great renewal and restoration. Namely, it's identified as the day of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will... Walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. For this day of restoration is coming. Read over the verses in the chapters referenced here, the chapters 4 and 5, and you will find that Israel is brought back here to her land, the land that she has been given by God. She's here in the land you will discover with the Lord. And she's here in the land with the Lord teaching the law. And here's the core reason why. This then is a scene of blessing. Because yes, tonight Israel to a degree is back in the land. But very importantly, she's in the land yet without the Lord and without any respect to his law. But the day will come. The day will come as these verses and as these chapters show us that the house of the Lord will be exalted above the mountains of Zion. Nations will flow onto it, we are here being told. And there the nations shall be taught of the Lord. Verse 7 shows us that, it, that in that day, that day that is to come, that day of blessing and restoration, that day of great revival, it will be the Lord himself that will reign in Zion. He will be sitting upon the throne of his father David. Verse 7, And I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Zion from henceforth, even forever. Even forever. And how that ties in 
with what the mother of the Lord was promised when she was spoken to of Christ's birth. She was told there in Luke chapter 1, 20, chapter 32 and 33 that Christ was going to sit upon the throne of his father David. Well, here it is. All these things are remarkable features that cannot be mistaken. And they speak of things not seen as yet. But one day they shall be seen. Not at all surprisingly then that such a day will usher in and such a kingdom will usher in upon earth. A time of great peace. Look at the chapter 4 and the verse 3. And he shall judge among the people and rebuke strong nations afar off and they shall beat their swords into ploughshares and their spears and their pruning hooks and nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more verse 5 or chapter 5 and the verse 4 and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall abide for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth and this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land, when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we rise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. The world, as never before, will then enjoy true peace and true blessing. How wonderful are those words that we have just read. This man, this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, this man shall be the peace. He shall crush and destroy the Assyrian. The land of Nimrod will then receive its final and full blow at the hand of Christ. Then Jacob, Jacob shall be blessed. As we read there in the chapter 5 and the verse 7. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as a showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who, if he go through, Doth tread, both treadeth down, and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. What a day of blessing is here promised. What a day of restoration is here spoken of. Oh, how true were those words spoken by Paul. In the book of Romans, in the chapter 11 and the verse 2, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. And as we have intimated here, as we have stated here, this was a glorious uh, restoration that Micah foretold. This is a mighty restoration. This is the promise of God. And we have but scratched the surface of it tonight. But one final thing. I want us to think about as we come to a conclusion this evening. Micah brings us to the very foundation of God's dealings with Israel. He brings us to the very 
foundation. We read the words at the beginning and we did that deliberately. The verses 15 here through to the end of the chapter. According to the days of the coming out of the land of Egypt will I show unto him marvellous things. Chapter 7 verse 15. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like the serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou shalt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou shalt perform the truth to Jacob, mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. As of old, the reason for God's ever working towards Israel is found in his pardoning mercy and in his unsurpassable compassion. And so it will be again. He will do for Israel as he did for Israel in the past because of the merciful promise he has given. As it was in Egypt that the Red Sea God is going to show before a watching world his unmerited mercy and love towards his beloved people. Paul again in that 11th chapter of Romans Put it like this, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God never goes back on his word. He never goes back on his word and he won't go back on his word towards Israel. And that's a fact that we are all exceedingly thankful for. In other words, the foundation of God's dealings towards Israel in the future are just as they were with her in the past. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. Oh, let us close with that thought of the final verse of the prophecy. The Lord will perform his truth to Jacob. Praise God for that. The Lord will perform his truth to Jacob. That will be seen in the midst of his overflowing and abundant mercy and grace. Oh, what a What a mighty message this is. What a mighty testimony this is. May God bless our few thoughts thereupon this night for his name's sake. Amen. Let's just close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for the truth promised to Jacob. We thank thee for the revelations we have in this book, in this testimony. And we thank thee that those, these things are steadfast and sure. And what God has said he will fulfill. Oh, bless your word. In these days of confusion and darkness, allow the light of God's truth to shine. For Christ's sake. Amen.